I'd like to acknowledge we are on the traditional territory of the Massachusetts and Wampanoag. Welcome to our joint event with Comparative Media Studies Writing and the MIT Co-Creation Studio at the Open Documentary Lab. This is both a department colloquial, so you see lots of grad students, and also the first event in our symposium, Collective Wisdom, co-creating with communities across disciplines and with algorithms. Four Just Films, MacArthur Foundation, and the Phi Center are also our partners in bringing this event to you, and we thank them. I'm thrilled that we have Thomas Allen Harris here tonight as our first speaker. Thomas has been making important, beautiful films and installations for many years, exploring and interrogating the African diaspora and queer identity and culture. And I've personally been watching him very closely as he began developing his remarkable project, Digital Diaspora Family Reunion. It's a socially engaged transmedia project that has incorporated community organizing, performance, visual gathering, virtual gathering spaces, and storytelling in over 60 unique audiovisual events in over 50 cities. It's soon to become a public television series too. It's a wonderful example of what co-creation can do, how many lives it can touch, how many stories it can find, how many hidden truths it can reveal all through a collective effort. A little bit about tonight. Thomas will talk about his trajectory as a media artist, his co-creative process, and he'll bring us through a family photo sharing experience. He'll start with a presentation and then enter in conversation with professor and filmmaker Vivek Bald. We'll then have some time for audience questions and our interactive activity. We'll end the evening with a lightning talk by Bjarke Calvin about his new collaborative storytelling app, Duckling. This whole event uh, and the symposium tomorrow is live streamed. You can go to the Open Doc Lab site um, to get the link. Thank you. I am Vivek Bald. Um, I'm a professor in comparative media studies and, um, and a faculty member of the Open Documentary Lab. Um, I want to thank, thank Sarah and Kat and Cheryl and the whole team that's been putting together this, this event. It's an incredible event and, and um, the CMS, Comparative Media Studies Colloquium, is, has been really, um, we've been very happy to be uh, partnering in this event. Um, it's my great honor to welcome Thomas Allen Harris as our guest tonight. I say honor because when I was a young person in New York in the early 1990s, making my first steps in documentary film, Thomas, along with his brother Lyle, uh, was like a beacon, someone who demonstrated what is possible when artistic practice is driven by fearlessness, vision, and a commitment to communities and histories greater than oneself. Thomas's fearlessness manifested at multiple levels. To use the metaphor animating his film through a lens darkly, Thomas's work went to battle on the terrain of represent representations and counter-representations. At the same time, his work was fearless 
in the ways that it centered the personal and the familial, offering up an honesty and even vulnerability that called upon us as viewers to look at ourselves honestly and, and to make ourselves vulnerable, a process that prompted us to engage our complex relationships to our own and other communities. Throughout his 30-year career, Thomas has continued to engage people in these ways in different arenas, from community and activist spaces and black and queer film festivals to the national stage of public television. As you'll see in tonight's presentation, his work is held together on the one hand by a years-long exploration of the camera and the photographic and filmic image as site of inquiry and means of personal and community self-representation, and on the other hand, by an assertion of expansive ideas of the family. These themes come together in Thomas's most recent work, Family Pictures USA, which we are going to get a taste of today. Um, it is a culmination and continuation of this trajectory of work and an example of co-creation grounded in a career-long commitment to community-based image making and storytelling. So I welcome Thomas Allen Harris. Thank you, Vivek. Appreciate it. Thank you. Good evening. How's everyone? Good. So, um, so I'm feeling a little, um, a, a little bit nervous. Um, I'm feeling, um, yeah, a little bit, yeah, nervous and like, you know, what, what, what am I doing on the stage? So I'm going to invite us all to participate in um, a little meditation to center the evening and uh, if you'll assist in centering me so that I can bring you um, this message. And I'm going to use the singing bowl, which a friend of mine from Brazil gifted me when I moved into my uh, house uh, several years ago. So however you choose to enjoy this. Thank you. So it's um, great to be here in Cambridge. Um, I went to school down the block. And this is the first time I'm actually showing and doing a presentation here in this city uh, since I graduated uh, a number of years ago. <laughs> um, for the past 25 years, I've been making deeply personal projects that are at their root a search for identity, family, and spirituality. 
My films have been journeys through my communities in a quest to better understand the relationship and intersections between family and diaspora and queerness, particularly in the context of art, documentary, and activism. I have sought in each project to leave the community who has collaborated with me in a better position than when I found it. To bring to the center those voices, perspectives, and narratives that have been marginalized or silenced or made invisible. To expand what we think of when we say family, when we say us, we, you, them. To create a safe space for me, us, you, them, through the work across performance, photography, media making, and education. Um, in the last year, I've been working on a television show uh, entitled Family Pictures USA, which came out of this practice of, uh, as Vivek had mentioned, of 25 years. Um, the project has recently been funded, and um, uh, it's going to be shown on public television. It's a collaboration with stations across the public television systems and communities uh, looking at America through the lens of the family album. And I'm going to show uh, a two-minute trailer that actually helped us get uh, the funding for the project at uh, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about the evolution of this project from um, the films I started making in the late 80s, early 90s. And so this is a two-minute trailer from Family Pictures USA. What comes to mind when you see all the photographs on this table? When I see them all amassed like this, it really touches me regarding the journey of my family. As a filmmaker and artist, I've dedicated my life to reading the meaning in photographs. Mysterious portals to the past that speak to our present. Now, I'm traveling the country, inviting people to tell their stories. If I was a car guy, I would tell you that is a 1948 <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a car guy, so I can't do that. <laughs> Using family photos. Do you have a picture of your dad? This is my dad's Ivy bed. Whoa. To expand our history. My grandparents came from Poland. Came from Italy. From India. Northern Mexico. From Iran. Exploring the pictures that preserve vital echoes of people. And places. What happened to this neighborhood? There were a lot of these uh, beautiful buildings that were mowed over. Finding ways to unite communities. These photos are kind of what, what keeps us together. Through our shared family experience. She used to wear my clothes. Never she could her clothes. Look she, at this. She, she. <laughs> 
family pictures allows us to come together. And we're one family. And we're one family. <laughs> Join us on this journey, and you'll never see America the same way again. Family Pictures USA, a new series coming in 2018. So, <laughs> so a, a slight amendment uh, is coming in 2019. Uh, <laughs> took a little bit longer than we thought. We were a little uh, too optimistic. So um, my work in family pictures and family narratives actually started in, in the late 80s. Uh, my brother had tested HIV positive, and I had also just gotten a high-eight camera. And at that time, I thought that we thought that his, he was going to die soon. Um, we didn't know. It was you know, early in the, you know, the um, uh, narrative of the you know, HIV and AIDS. Um, so I started interviewing him with my camera. And um, I, uh, he started interviewing me. And this narrative was emerging. Um, and I realized that uh, we're both queer, we're both um, uh, artists in the family. And in some ways, we're having an effect in the family and expanding the narrative of our particular family. And so I wanted to see what happens with other black families that have two or more siblings in it. How does it change the family dynamic? Because at that time, you know, the, 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 the larger ideas around queer identity had to do with leaving the family and as a, you know, the traditional family as opposed to refashioning the family. So I set out to find other sibling groups. I found three sisters who were all involved with women and a brother and a sister. And I asked them to join me on this journey and I gave them this camera, a series of cameras over the course of five years and asked them to interview one another. And initially I thought it was going to be a kind of a, kind of a narrative around um, uh, 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 gender and, and, and identity, but the minute the camera got into the hands of the sibling groups, all of a sudden the power dynamics were laid bare. And we had something else happening. And so I just went with it. And so I'm going to show you um, this, this project. Um, at, you know, at that time, we were also you know, thinking about the ways in which African-American communities were penalized because their families weren't conforming to certain patriarchal models. And I was very interested in providing a counter-narrative to that. Um, so I'm going to show you a, a short clip that features Vanessa and Paul. Uh, They're two siblings of part of eight. He's the oldest, the only college graduate. She never graduated from high school. And um, this is the first time they're actually talking in a way that he doesn't shut her down. Um, and so you're going to see that. But you're also going to see I asked everyone, in addition to using this height kind of home consumer camera, to develop these uh, um, kind of stories or fantasy sequences that I shot in Super 8 and so um, that they performed in. So they wrote them and I directed them. It's called Vintage Families of Value. It came out in 1995. How do you feel about me? <laughs> This is not going to be long. If you um, are a lot more sensitive than what I thought you were, pussycat, honey. No, not even. Mm-hmm. 
because I was too aggressive, obvious, too manage, too long time ago to go. Yes, I was. I knew that. You didn't like it. It was obvious. What it was was that I was trying to make you me. I felt that you could have done a lot more and could have gotten a lot farther if you had at least put that in. How can I put it? If you had put up a facade. Put it in. Put up a facade. In other words, um, chill it out, um, um, closet yourself. I used to follow Paul around and stuff. He used to have his little shows and stuff, dancing. I used to follow him around and try to make it at the party. Like, he didn't want me to be at the party. It was the cast party backwards, right? Paul didn't want me there. And I always felt he didn't want me there because he didn't want me to see him being gay. He didn't want me to see him flaming. So that was about maybe halfway into the film. Um, um, and I just want to circle back you know, around this uh, idea of co-creation um, and just read this uh, paragraph that's on the website. Co-creation is a set of media methods offering alternatives to, uh, to approaches that privilege single authorial vision. Projects evolve within communities and people rather than being made for or about them. Um, I was really interested not so much in describing this, this community to a kind of generalized or universalized uh, audience as much as making it a, a kind of dialogue that was happening within the community that, that would extend the community. So, you know, in some ways forcing the audience to engage from the perspective of, you know, this is the universal narrative. And, and I, I paid a price for that because 
it, was, it took 11 years for that film to actually make its way into a black American film festival. They all rejected them, even though they were, it was being seen across the world, you know, because they said, are you trying to turn, make, you know, po posit that black, all black families are queer families. Um, so, and, and um, the other aspect in terms of this kind of co-creation space is that, you know, for me, I felt like um, I had interviewed a bunch of different siblings, about 60 different sibling groups, and I ended up going with people of which I knew one person within that they were already a kind of a friend, but I didn't know they had a queer sibling. And um, I thought, I chose them in part because I thought, you know, this is going to be a journey, and they're going to have to trust me. And, um, and then that aspect of trust led me to, like, take, you know, what I felt was really risky kinds of decisions, like allowing them to see every rough cut you know, the whole rough cut, not just their, their perspective. And they would be giving feedback, not only on their representation, but the representation of the other siblings, who they did not know but knew through the film and met at, 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 somewhere down the process. Um, Co-creation spans across disciplines, organizations, and can also involve non-human systems. Co-creation ethically reframes who creates and how and why. And so for, I, I was also very interested in like, I mean, it, it was like home kind of format. And, and um, yeah, I was interested in allowing for uh, formats that, that they could easily learn and could easily use and were formats that were being used within the family. Process matters, as do high-quality, compelling products or outcomes. Co-creation not only interprets the world, but also seeks to change it. Co-creation offers alternatives to single-author vision. It's a constellation of media methods, frameworks, and feedback systems. So the narrative that evolved in terms of the film was not explaining the trauma that was happening in each of these families as much as creating a mosaic of our various families, uh, including my family and my relationship to my, uh, my family, my brother, um, who uh, we're blessed to still have with us. Uh, projects emerge, emerge out of the process, evolve from within communities and with people rather than being made for or about them. Co-creation also spans across disciplines, organizations, even goes beyond them, and can sometimes evolve non-human system. Co-creation ethically reframes who creates and how and why. Co-creation interprets the world and seeks to change it with a commitment to equity and justice. Um, so I continued using this kind of home format, um, thinking about ways of um, reinterpreting I, my identity as an African-American. Uh, I, 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 wa I wanted to be able to see myself outside of this narrative, this, you know, the white normative class-based narrative, um, and to be able to see myself in a larger way. And I decided to go to Brazil, where they, because Brazil has the largest population of Africans living in the America. And I said, well, in the Americas. And I said, well, what, is it, what would it be like for me to go and have an experience there um, and to try to understand them? But I was also interested in the spiritual aspect. Because there was the, the, the way slavery was manifested there, they were, not, they were able to maintain certain African traditions. And I wanted to be able to access those. You know, and so it was also part of a larger movement where African Americans were going to Brazil and looking for their reaches and looking for things and hoping to find things. And so I decided to go there not with super high-tech, you know, for that time, 2000, 1997, 98. Um, and in fact, 
The first time I landed in Brazil was because they invited Vintage there, even though it wasn't showing here. It was showing, it showed in Brazil and got a very good reception. So I decided to go back. And um, I went back with two Super 8 cameras um, because I wanted to be able to hand them out to people. I decided to go back and document the religious uh, festivals, popular festivals at Climax and Carnival. And um, so I'm going to show, so, so I went back with two Super 8 cameras, came back with all this material, and just realized I had to make a narrative that would become a film. Um, and that narrative led me to find hours and hours of Super 8 that my grandfather had shot in our basement. So if I hadn't gone to Brazil, I would not have found that. I would not have been able to make this film, which goes back and forth between my journey in Brazil, my grandfather's discovery of his Africanness in the 60s, shooting off the TV screen, shooting, documenting his family as they went from being colored and Negro to embracing a Pan-African aesthetic, and then followed my mother's marriage to my stepdad, who is a South African freedom fighter, and us moving to East Africa. So all of that was kind of activated because of this trip to Brazil. So I'm going to show a little piece from Salvador da Bahia. Uh, it's during the religious festival of Yemeja, the goddess of the ocean, that you know, millions of people flock to the beach. And you know, there is a, a kind of environmental um, awareness around each of the deities, the African deities, are associated with natural forces. And so, so, um, so I went there. So I'm going to show this little piece and then finding, meeting Georgie and his effect on me and opening up this queer Afro-Brazilian community in uh, Salvador da Bahia, which is a northeast section, the northeast part of Brazil.
people say, hey, are always coming here searching for something. Why should I take you to the research? You're not ready. But Georgie, I see myself in the wishes and their duality. I've got to find them. Please help me. Thomas, you don't need the wishes to express your duality. This is carnival. Everywhere, things are not what they seem. searching for a connection to a world that no longer exists, like all the other black Americans who come to Bahia in search of their roots. So when we think about co-creation, you know, I, I also think like it's not just me versus them or outside of myself. It's like, it's, I'm also thinking about the different aspects or dimensions of myself that, that I need to bring together and cultivate um, uh, uh, so that they can harmonize with one another. Um, as, a, as a gay male who was raised in this country, and I think that many men experience this, you know, being called a faggot as a way to diminish or to turn away from the feminine within men is you know even gay men you know and, and straight men whoever you know that this this kind of coming together and, and synthesis and that's something that was very strong for me and pulled me and I think that also pulls a lot of um, people who are looking at the Orisha uh, as a way to think uh, about uh, ways of um, the, the dimensionality of the self and 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 moving beyond gender uh, as it's defined in the West. Um, but there's also other parts. There's, there's um, you know, co-creation with the head and the heart. Um, when I was finishing uh, Amy Akata, my stepdad, who raised me from the time I was nine, died. And I went to South Africa for the first time. And, um, you know, I had a very tumultuous relationship with this man. He was a traditional African father. I was a rambunctious American son. You know, it came to blows. It was alcoholism. Um, and, um, and, you know, he was in exile, which meant the family was in exile. Even though we were living in America, we were in exile. I was never able to go and meet the family members in South Africa until uh, they came here, but I was never able to go to the homeland. And so uh, when he died, I went to South Africa for the first time to say goodbye to his stepfather, you know? I still had resentments around him. 
and I get there, and th in South Africa, I am his son. There is no such thing as step. Um, in South Africa, my heart told me that I was his son. My head was saying one thing, but my heart was saying something else, so I had a crisis. And for the six days of the, that the funeral lasted, the body was in the house. Uh, for each of those days, you know, mourners would come to us. Um, you know, I had to deal with you know, the reconciliation of this. And so I had my camera, fortunately. And so I hid behind my camera and started interviewing people and, and realized the story that I'd heard about how he left South Africa, how he made it out of South Africa in 1960 with this other group of young men. Um, you know, there were all these holes in the story. And I began to fill in the holes. And next thing I know, I'm making a film about, um, about him and this group of people he left with, and also the people he left behind, and the families that were created during, in that journey. And that became a film called 12 Disciples and Nelson Mandela. Um, I could have made a straightforward personal documentary with the archival materials. I had enough, um, and I kept finding more. But one of the things that struck me was that most people, you know, because of the, the nature of apartheid meant you, know, you were blocking information. So people did not know there about the global anti-apartheid movement that was growing up in the eight, 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, and um, when these generations came back after 30 years of exile, no one knew who they were. Um, very much like you know, um, Odysseus coming back, you know, and, and you know, no one knows who, who you know, it's an archetypal story. Um, and so my role as son was to transmit the narrative you know, to take it from the generation that came before and pass it on the generation that came after that. And that was part of the, 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 my decision to engage them as actors, engage these young people. We did a large citywide community activity where we had them write essays. What would they do if they were placed in the situation? Nelson Mandela asked them to leave and go into exile. And out of those people, we also casted. Um, and I was there actually just with my mom. <laughs> she was a producer. But we had these amazing crew, and so, um, so we had the, we, I went there not with a script, but with a treatment. And we, together, we went through a journey, of about 100 different actors uh, went through this journey. And so I'm going to show um, the beginning of 12 Disciples of Nelson Mandela. And I just want to salute uh, Kara Mertes, who is one of the executive producers on the film, who really got me just to move, make certain critical changes in the, in the film, which is, which is going to be in here. And it talks about the relationship of the photograph and reuniting a photograph uh, with uh, that's been lost to memory. His voice still echoes in my head. I'm Pulele Naim from South Africa. I'm still dreaming about home. I was born in South Africa, Bloemfontein. That is the Orange Free State. I was raised there, I went to school in the same city and went to high school in the same city. 
and when I left, I left from the same city. Lee left South Africa together with a group of 11 other comrades in 1960 to build the African National Congress, the ANC, in exile. I didn't just live by myself, we left in a group. Some call them the 12 from Bloemfontein, but to me, they were 12 disciples of Nelson Mandela. The last time I saw Lee was when I shot this footage of him celebrating Father's Day in 1999 in the backyard of our house in the Bronx. <laughs> it seems strange that most of the images I have of Lee were often from Father's Day. He had raised me since I was nine years old, but I never called him father. Lee died before I could see him in South Africa, the land he fought all his life to liberate. For a whole week, I've seen Lee feted as a hero. Strangers come up to touch me, offering condolences as his eldest son. This photo, let me see now. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I remember it. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, so when yeah, 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 yeah. This it, one has no, no, been? no. Now I remember it. I've never seen this one. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> mm. Mm. Now the people who are here. That's me here, as a con. That's Dupes. That's Beans. That's Motobi. That's Percy. That's Copes. That's Sedai. That's Peter Swartz. That's Billy McConnell. That's Taps. That's Madra. And uh, Lee. Eh? Who is here? It's you. Oh <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. You don't know yourself, huh? Lee used to tell the story about his political coming of age in 1952 
with the Defiance Campaign. One of the AMC's first nationally organized expressions of civil disobedience against the apartheid laws. So um, that film, actually, um, while I was making that film, I was uh, approached by Deborah Willis, who did a book called Reflections in Black, which cataloged the contributions of African Americans to uh, the field of photography. And she asked me to turn it into a film. And um, I uh, um, had been working with the image and introducing the image. And I took some of the strategies around collaboration around the image um, into this film in a couple of different ways. Uh, one was through interviewing about 54 people around the film, um, 50, 54 scholars, 26 photographers, and 26, um, 26 uh, photographers, half of whom were women. And, um, and we became a kind of collective, finding things in history and bringing them to the present. Um, and at the same time as making this film, uh, which talked about the issue of representation that was occurring within each of their works. I selected many of the photographers we selected were photographers that incorporated history in their narrative. And so we were able to reveal the historical narrative through the work of these various artists, including Karen Mae Weems, Lorna Simpson, Lyle Ashton Harris, Glenn Ligon, and others. Um, and as I was doing that, I also was aware that I wanted to start a community engagement project with each of my films, but I was never able to do it because at the end of the films, I was exhausted. So we started actually doing this t in tandem. We created a, a, a project called Digital Diaspora Family Reunion that was supposed to be online, but we uh, got, as soon as we started shopping the prototype, we got invited to do these live versions of it in which we invited people to share their family photographs in this live space. And even though the film is focused on African-American photographers, we really wanted the community engagement project to be expansive and to be intersecting with all the different diasporas. Um, so I'm going to show, how much time do I have? Two minutes. So how, <laughs> how, many, people have, how many people have seen Through a Lens Darkly? So we, OK, so, so, I'm gonna, so you could see that online. So I'm gonna I'm gonna fast forward I'm gonna fast forward to digital diaspora family reunion because that that do, you know in the course of making the film I ended up interviewing about I don't know somewhere with a hundred thousand five hundred people about their family albums and the very act of talking to people about their family albums and digging through the, the, this, the, the, these archives you know that had never ever been seen really made me change the narrative of the film and affected it profoundly. And also, in addition, I was able to source two-fifths of the nearly 1,000 images in this 90-minute film from those images that we collected through this digital diaspora project that you experienced. So I'm going to show, if I could just have uh, play this digital diaspora video um, so it tells that narrative. And then we are going to go to our Q&A with Vivek. So I'm going to fast forward. Okay, just a little clip of uh, Through a Lens Darkly, and then we're pa past it. <laughs> Family Pictures USA is a show about our stories. 
discovering hidden connections to history and to one another. So this is with documentation that we shot of all the public events. I grew up in a family of photographers. And every photograph had a story about the lives of people that I didn't know, but who were connected to me. And it inspired me creatively and changed the way I saw the world. It's one of the reasons I spent the last 10 years traveling around the country, encouraging people to see the value in their own family photographs. And now, it will be a TV show. Hi, I'm Thomas Allen Harris, and we're here in Harlem, New York, at the Sugar Hill Children's Museum of Art and Storytelling. Come on. I'll be your guide to a new America that is revealed when people open their albums and their hearts. This project is about redefining and creating a new purpose for the family album, one that could bring us together despite our differences. and it says H.H. Flake's Farm on it. And our last name is Flake, and so I knew, well, these are my relatives. And it turns out these are my great-great-grandparents, perhaps. And uh, what's funny is I, I grew up in Mississippi, and I always thought, though, that since we had come from California, we weren't Southern, really. The history of slavery and civil rights, they weren't personal stories. And when I saw this photograph of um, my ancestor's potato farm in Florida and realized that it's also a photograph of um, black workers, farm workers behind them. My family never talked about it. When I asked about it, turns out that these relatives were Spanish uh, indentured servants who had come to Florida, so very humble beginnings. If you were white, um, maybe you didn't totally claim your Spanish or Hispanic heritage um, as an effort to distance yourself from another kind of working class. These are some of my mother's relatives. Um, they could have passed for white, and we have quite a few of them. We have one cousin called, her name was Brunette, that was her real name because her hair was blonde, and they called her Brunette. My mom, when we were kids, people thought she was our teacher because her children were all obviously black, and so most people did not know my mom black and she never tried to pass she had lots of relatives that tried to pass but she never tried to pass it's a powerful photograph for me it situated me in the south situated my family in the south and situated my life into these uh, race relations and what it is to be an American and how to connect to the past my grandmother told the story of a girl that she had come to take care of my father who was from an orphanage and her name was Hattie. This is a picture of her with my father when he looks to be about six years old. And this is a picture of Hattie with my grandmother and my grandfather. My grandmother's name was Harriet, and she was called Hat. Hattie's name was Harriet, she was called Hattie. They called her Black Hattie. That's what this says underneath here. She lived with them for many years. 
And when I was a teenager, these are two of my younger siblings, Hattie would often appear at our house in Litchfield, Connecticut. My grandmother would call and say to my mother, Hattie's coming, and my mother would make sandwiches and iced tea and lemonade and run around. It was a big flurry of excitement and greeting and talking, and she would visit. And growing up in Litchfield, Connecticut, there were no black people. I had not met black people. This was my experience with black people, was Hattie's appearance regularly on our porch. When you pull out those photographs and you start to tell stories that have only been told within the family and you see the resonance of those with other people, then suddenly it's larger than just any single individual or any singular experience that individuals might have. Uh, so this is my grandfather, um, my father's father. Um, he's praying. Every morning he gets up at 5 a.m. And this man is 90 plus, by the way. He prays and he reflects. And I think, um, you know, then I took it for granted. And here I feel like um, I can't take this for granted because this is the origins of my origin. When we do the interviews with people and we ask them to put on white gloves before they handle their images, it forced me to think, white gloves? That means the thing I'm handling is precious. It has value. And so that moment is a kind of a shift. This is my sister Trisha and myself when I was, I believe, four. She was so good to me when I was young. These pictures made me feel like a little emotional because this represents a part of my life which is truly been like a huge transition from the Philippines to America. was sitting on my mantelpiece and people came over and they were like, why is that guy with Louis Armstrong? Well, that guy is my father and, you know, he was shooting Louis for um, a photo spread for Playboy magazine. All his staff photographers, they're all wearing like silk pajamas, doing a, like a, a spoof on Hugh Hefner. I have it on my desk to remind me that my father was an artist and he, you know, he did some really ballsy things. to use photography as a way of creating community. So that being said, this is a community exercise. So would you turn to your neighbor and just say hello, introduce yourself? When you're an immigrant in a country and you're always trying to find family and a family mm -hmm. member in an audience at an event says, I'm your family, exactly. when we're talking about family. It's magical. Do you know Delphine? You know, I heard your name. I heard Macaulay. And then she piped up. Yes! I'm like, wait, Macaulay, if she's a photographer, then she's my cousin. We've never 
even met each other. We've never met each First other. First time meeting each other. I was completely flustered. I didn't even know what I was talking about at that point. <laughs> this is magical. This is necessary work for bringing our global family together. Absolutely. That's what we did. That's what we did. Oh, God, thank you. I think that what was the most surprising for me, I think that there is a tremendous amount of emotional connection with taking that picture out and telling that story. That's my brother Sajan Lanidal. It was actually a year before he he um he passed away. And um and yeah, my, my brother died the next year, and my grandmother, and so all the all the photos from. Actually, I um, I, know, I didn't even think about why those pictures are important to be honest. I never even thought about, but that that is still like. The real reason why I decided to do this project is because my mom was in surgery a few days ago, and she had to go to the I think that we've always been a little bit surprised that people are going to come out with their photographs and want to talk about them. Uh, they're perfect strangers to themselves and to each other, and yet they're more than willing, absolutely overwhelmingly willing, to get up in front of a group of people and talk about, this is my grandparents, or this is my father, or this is what we did when I was six years old. What we have stumbled upon is the, the hunger that audiences have to have a real human connection with each other. So should we go? Thomas, that was wonderful. Thank you, Vivek, for um, me. And um, so the, I just have a couple of questions to start us off, and I think um, there are a couple of um, microphones that are going to get passed around the audience, so we'll talk a little bit and then have some Q&A, and then get straight to um, what we saw on screen. Okay, great. Right? And I just want to acknowledge someone in the audience who was pivotal in terms of Family Pictures USA, and that's Juanita Anderson, the producer on uh, Family Pictures, who's in the front here. So we spent last a bunch of time with, and so holla. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to start, and we were talking about this a little bit um, the other day on the phone. Um, when we first met, we were both in the orbit of Third World Newsreel in New York, and um, I think part of the... Um, I still am in that orbit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, you know, part of, part of what um, I think often is not realized in terms of talking about where we are right now in terms of um, different forms of co-creation that have been... Um, sort of made possible by the affordances of new technologies, et cetera, um, is that there's 
a very long tradition of the kind of work that um, that is community engaged, that is inclusive of of communities in telling their own stories. And that this was this was also part of of the ethos of Third World Newsreel, and I was just wondering if you could speak a bit about about that you know, in a sense, that moment of the early 90s to the mid 90s and, mm -hmm. and you know, where does the, the practice that we've seen in your, in your work um, and the commitment to um, uh, co-creation, as we call it mm -hmm. now, um, uh, where did that come from and what was the, the kind of larger context? Mm -hmm. um, thank you. Uh, yeah, so um, are people familiar with Third World Newsreel? Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Wendy. <laughs> and Wendy actually was responsible for us creating Digital Diaspora as a prototype at DAVAC. Thank you, Wendy. <laughs> Wendy Levy. Um, so, you know, actually in that class, I started in 1986, my first film class, because I had done, uh, I was pre-med at Harvard and did biology, and I was in that class with Kara Mertes, who's in the audience as well. <laughs> and uh, we had various dates, creative dates over the, the decades. But, um, um, you know, and I came to a Third World Newsreel through Pearl Bowser, who was doing you know, really important work um, and was uh, uh, really working there at Third World Newsreel in an executive capacity and, um, and also finding archives. And I came to her through the act uh, activism of my mom. She was part of an organization called Women for Racial and Economic Equality that was really doing a lot of things internationally in the 80s, and she was traveling to Cuba and China. And so, and it was through connecting through Pearl through her that I landed in uh, Third World Newsreel. And um, I did not stay for that course because I got a, 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 a gig, and then I ended up getting this job that took me away. But it's always been part of that ethos. And, and at that time, right around that time, Third World Newsreel, uh, through Coco Fusco brought in the Black Audio Collectives, you know, um, uh, bla uh, the Black Collectives from Britain and their work. You know, so I got a chance to sort of see that, um, you know, um, the, both Sankofa and the Black Audio Film Collective, um, and uh, influenced by, by their work and also the work of uh, Marlon Riggs, you know, who brought a bunch of communities together to tell collective stories. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so that, that was uh, really pivotal in terms of my understanding of the giving visibility to communities and also accessing, ar using archives. And the, w the space that I thought was really kind of missing in all of that was the, the space that I started charting around family, you know, mm -hmm. the intersection of family, queerness, and, and, and diaspora. You know, of course, Isaac Julian is, you know, is, it, I mean, the work is a little bit different, you know, significantly different, I should say. Um, so it's really, you know, my work is really kind of uh, personal in the sense that it was also connected to the activism that was going on in our extended family that was mm -hmm. multi-generational, you know, because I also grew up in, in the uh, African Methodist Episcopal Church. My, my grandparents were, you know, ser served in that church for over 50 years. My grandfather was a treasurer, you know, unpaid for 50 years, kept the church in the black. You know, and the church had you know, done all these activities. In fact, when I was doing the research for 12 Disciples Nelson Mandela, I found a picture of Sol Plakey, who was one of the founders of the ANC, coming to the United States. He, he visited the United States, and it was, he was visiting at Bethel AME Church, mm. which is the church he grew up in. So, so this, you know, and this is before you know, my mother was born and my stepdad yeah. was born. So, 
So, um, so it, it's really about kind of like kind of coming to terms with that. I mean, I think growing up in an activist family, right. you know, there's a certain amount of like, you know, it's like, yeah, it's a certain amount of like trauma, you know. And so, how do you understand that and understand the kind of trauma, but also you, you're imprinted, you know, and it's informed certain decisions. And um, and the idea of family is like, you know, I mean, we always had an open house, and so mm -hmm. that for me is really so critical and I think that informs the work you know and then having the formal aspects uh, from other filmmakers Camille Billups as well yeah yeah um, and another aspect of your trajectory that that is um, apparent here um, is that that you have you know moved in and out of different kinds of, of spaces different audiences etc and we were talking the other day about um, uh, about the idea of success, like what makes a successful um, film project or media project, community engagement project, um, and you know, there's there's this idea, this kind of idea of success in the independent film world that is about sort of starting with small festivals and then maybe bigger festivals, maybe PBS, and then maybe um, you know a, a project that gets backed by a studio or Netflix deal or whatever it's it's this very um, uh, this very uh, you know straightforward mm -hmm. narrative that is about more and more like bigger and bigger audience right mm -hmm. um, and we were talking about how you know that is is one idea of what success looks like in in the realm of, of documentary film but there are other conceptions, there are other ways of thinking about success, particularly uh, in terms of, um, you know, projects that are made with and alongside um, specific communities. Mm -hmm. um, so I was wondering if you could talk a bit more about that. Yeah, um, well, I just I feel really fortunate to be able to have worked in the way I've worked and also to have gotten the support. You know, it's very, you know, it's, it's you know, I'm really blessed. Um, um, I do, for me, it's really important, um, like the process, you know, that's why, one of the reasons I really am so happy about this co-creations um, conference is that, you know, even within those spaces, the process is c continually ignored and thrown aside, you know, but the process that like a lot of, you know, uh, us are engaged in is so critical and how do we highlight that process and, and talk about the significance of the process. And, I've yeah you know, I went through transformations in each of these projects and um, but not simply I but we you know in this kind of dialectical kind of way and and um, and that is you know that's more gratifying and I just than 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 anything and um, yeah you know, I stayed true to my you know true to my vision you know and um, you know there were times where I had to make certain decisions and I made decision to to teach as opposed to to like you know try to do you know things that were outside of that vision you know there's a great 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 on YouTube great uh, speech by James Baldwin called the integrity of the artist and um, and it's just you know, it's just so powerful and um, yeah to have that integrity is is really important and um, I think that um, I mean it's great that I'm, you know, I'm, that the, the piece is going to show in, you know on, on public television and there's you know, we have these opportunities um, but I you know it's just yeah I, I think that that is that in and of itself I mean it's a, it's a, it's a marker but it's it's, part of, it's on a continuum right. of other things and um, 
And uh, yeah, I think that collaboration with other people and co-creation with other people is <coughs> deeply gratifying um, and so, so critical, and especially thinking about empowerment, thinking about, um, I mean, I, I mean you know, success just without, like you know, just thinking of how many people in the world are the inequities and the environment and how can, you know, what I'm doing, you know, somehow um, enrich or affect in, in different kind of ways rather than just kind of like, um, you know, in the, in, the, in the actual aspects of doing the work. Um, so, um, you know, and that, and that, you know, I, I don't know if I can really say that I really want to Know, make a film as a kind of calling card, you know, so I could work on somebody else's project, you know, a corporate yeah. corporation's project, you know, and, and have another narrative around like the gun, you know, and you know, and then wonder why, like you know, you know, going and protesting about people, you know, shooting up, you know, and meanwhile I, you know, I'm engaged in that. So I mean, not to say that I think things are shifting now in terms of you know media and access, um, uh, but like what kinds of narratives are there? Uh, you know, and I think that the, um, you know, uh, Kamal's paper talked about that, you know, in terms of how do we begin to shift, shift the narrative in our work and have the, maintain the integrity to do that and actually make it practical. And that is, you know, the challenge and also risk, like, you know, exposing our vulnerabilities, risk um, uh, being vulnerable uh, in terms of, um, you know, opening up our process, you know, equivalencies. And, um, and also, like, you know, failures, you know. Um, you know, I made a, made a mistake, or that person made a mistake, but, it, but I don't have to, like, demonize the other person. You know, uh, we got money from CPB to go to rural communities. So I'm going with, you know, my black gay self down <laughs> to <the> southern, <laughs> southwest Florida <laughs> and North Carolina, you know. And, uh, you know, and so it's like, you know, to be able to go into places that normally, you know, I wouldn't feel comfortable or, you know. And I have to be able to go there with, like, you know, a kind of open heart, you know, and, um, you know, but have my integrity, you know. So that's, that is a, this other kind of new terrain that I'm going to be experiencing, yeah. you know, in addition to, like, you know, trying to make something that, you know, that, that, um, that doesn't uh, get the people who supported me fired. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's let's open it up. I know that we we have limited time, so let's open it up to the to the audience. Um, we'll have a couple of uh, microphones that are going to circulate. While that's happening, um, let me just ask you one very specific question, and that is, um, in Twelve Disciples, mm -hmm. um, I wonder if you could speak a little bit more about the process that you went through with the young actors. Mm -hmm. And and um, the you know what what that process meant you know what what was your intention of including these young actors um, in in telling that story? Um, well, I really wanted to this you know there is a hole in the history books in South Africa around the um, moment after uh, like the moment before apartheid and after apartheid so there's this like gap. And so I wanted somehow to both kind of begin to fill that, but also many of the living disciples were, were neighbors with some of these kids. Everyone was living in the township. And the township in Bloemfontein, when I went there, was very much, you know, even though it was like what um, 
like when I first went to shoot, it was 2000, so I went there like maybe 10, 12, 15 years after apartheid ended, something around that, maybe, maybe a little bit less. But you know, even you know, as of like 10, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, the township uh, roads are still unpaved. You know, people are living like they lived like 50 or 60 years ago. And, um, and in, in a sense, you know, we were able to actually shoot in the same kinds of locations that Lee had left in 1960, you know, in, the, in the heyday of apartheid. And so that was really curious, you know, that we could actually take, go there, you know, and, and um, occupy that space. But, but it was really to kind of connect those people, you know, so that before they died, you know, they would understand the history, they were able to transmit this information. You know, I think that, um, you know, there's been a lot of scholarship, you know, particularly with Native Americans, uh, the, the cutting off of the story. You know, and so you don't have you have to reinvent the wheel with each generation, and so I wanted to actually do that. And right now, the twelve disciples are part of like akin to a national holiday when they celebrate the African National Congress's founding, the hundred year anniversary. They actually use the photograph. They use the twelve disciples. There's some of these people, you know, that the, the specific twelve from Bloemfontein, but also that generation is being called upon, and you know, and the ones who are still living. And people are writing plays and using it as creative mm -hmm. kind of um, fodder mm -hmm. for like you know new musicals and, and Bloemfontein has a, had a thr has a thriving theater and jazz scene mm -hmm. so songs and stories and, mm -hmm. and plays are being created out of that and um, and so and that's, with with that photograph that was with that living in your and, and, and family this, apartment yeah. that was part of Lee's exactly but yeah. I also I introduce yeah. each of the 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 people who were who were playing the roles of the characters I introduce them to the people they were playing. Mm -hmm. So they actually had a relationship. Mm -hmm. That was not simply just like, I'm gonna do a little project on you, but I wanna understand you, you know? Yeah. And then if the ones who weren't living, because we had the only seven who were living, we introduced them to their family members. Mm -hmm. So it was a certain amount of like, almost like healing, because you know, they were like, you know, my, my son went out, and went, you know, or my daughter went out, and boom, and this would happen. So they were able to actually communicate and have this, this, this moment and have this deeper bond. Mm -hmm. And they, they, Consequently, you know, when we would go to a setup, we did about 13 setups a day, we just had a location. So it was just a location, and the camera person would light it, he would sit down and say, okay, what's gonna happen here? And so I was with the actors, okay, let's see, what's gonna happen here? And they created these different things, and when you see the film, you'll, you'll see that, yeah. For your PBS series, I love the vignettes you have, but I just was wondering, how do you organize it? Do you have an overarching kind of meta narrative or a arc across the whole series? And I, I just also worry about blending that you know everybody has their own memories, and yet we are a divided culture. So how do you bring that to the fore? Yeah, well, for, we are actually creating the format right now. Uh, but what we did in Detroit is we, we the, it's, it's two aspects, um, the, the project has two main aspects, and one is a kind of antiques roadshow where people bring their family photographs and speak about them. And, um, and so they come thinking they're gonna tell a story, but then when they, this is the first time they're actually sharing a photograph, a personal photograph in a public kind of space. So there's this kind of discovery that happens. Um, and then we are very interested in mapping the um, history of a particular place 
through the, the kind of like Howard Zinn, you know, the, the, a people's history of, the, of, of a particular location through the family album. And so that's what we are kind of focusing on. And then we have particular characters. And you know, in any place we go, like you know, in Southwest Florida, we're now we, we're speaking with Chief Billy, who was one of the, the founders of the uh, Indian gaming. And um, I mean, Southwest Florida is like a frontier space, um, late 1800s. Detroit was a frontier space, you know, 1700s. And so, so we have three. Actually, this this funding is for a pilot series with three different cities or spaces, I should say. It was the city of Detroit, and then it is two rural-facing communities. One is Southwest Florida, and the other one is um, Eastern North Carolina. And so, um, so the questions you're asking are the questions we're asking around our production table, <laughs> and it's. Um, I think it's going to have to be character-driven. So we're 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 kind of using the community photo shares as to identify characters, but also to identify themes of a space of a place. Um, and then we're picking characters whose family and narratives um, uh, have, a, have, in some ways, either deep roots or very new roots to the place. Um, it's not about denying difference. It's about kind of looking at commonalities. Firstly, I'm in love with you. <laughs> thought I'd start there. Um, I'd like you to uh, please expand on the idea that you shared pertaining to uh, co-creation internally, the unifying of self. Yeah, you know, I think that we're, we tend to um, be, like I think about magnets. I did you know, science. I was a science jock for eight years of my life. I went to Bronx High School of Science. My mom was a chemistry professor at, at uh, Bronx Community College. I grew up in a lab. Um, and then I went to you know, school down the block, and I did biochemistry and then biology. Graduated biology when I thought I was going to do photography and, and, and storytelling, writing rather. And so, yeah, I mean, it's like polarities, you know, and, and thinking about how with the, all the different dimensions, like what gets closed off when we say I am, you know, I am white as opposed to, you know, I am Irish, you know, and have a little bit of this in me and have a little bit of that in me, or I'm Jewish, or what gets closed off when you say I'm black and, you know, how the, you know, the uh, West Indian, you know, aspects versus the South American, all these different things that, that have, you know, just in terms of race, okay, but then we talk about gender, and that's why I think that the what's happening right now with the trans movement is so critical, you know, it's a, it's a frontier, you know, to decolonize ourselves from gender, you know, because homophobia for me is about gender, and misogyny is, you know, gender, and how do we kind of begin to open up those spaces and allow, and that's, and that, that vintage, Families evaluating, look at that. Like, you know, all the women are really these strong, strong women, you know, but also kind of like have this multiple aspects to themselves. And the men are seemingly fae, but also have these really all these different dimensions of themselves. And so that that is um, to be able to, like as an artist, I feel like I'm accessing, I'm able to access that space. And then we also talk about the the, you know, the, the, our responsibility as people, like, you know, we have to go back and heal ourselves from the childhood trauma, whether, you know, the trauma is from, you know, 
generational trauma? How do you know what is our responsibility for not taking that, not passing that trauma along to the next generation? Whether it's someone I, a kid I have, or you know a kid who might be under my care, or someone working in my office. You know, how do I begin to center and bring in these different things and to do the work that I need to do with myself? And that has to do with these different dimensions of ourselves. You know, the dimensions that are wonderful and beautiful and dimensions that are in deep pain and agony. Thank you so much for your work. It's, it's really inspiring. and. Um, I just wonder when you see that guy that was kind of coming to a realization as he was holding the photograph and he was started crying and realizing why that photo was really important to him and that moment's being captured on film. How do you, how do you handle that piece of co-creation when someone has an emotion that maybe they're not expecting? How do you build in the care and the compassion for that person? I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And I can't see who's talking. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think it was really, it's really important to allow for the emotion to happen and allow for the safe space for people to be able to have a feeling um, and the power of that feeling. And um, that, I think, is that, I mean, that he had a realization that touched him. And, um, you know, he's holding his daughter. And, um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, um, it's, um, it was something that was very real. And I think that it's, um, you know, without being, you know, exploitative, um, we're witnessing. And I think it's, it's like, you know, one of the things that they talked about in the co-creation was being able to listen and, you know, which is really about bearing witness to, to someone, you know, not trying to fix or to, um, yeah, to go through uncomf the uncomfortableness, you know? And um, so that, that, that was, I mean, obviously he had to do that. And, um, and we also have responsibility, um, you know, in the project I'm working on, if you know, someone says, I don't want this filmed, or, you know, I don't, you know, I, I, I want that used or whatever, you know, it's, that's, that's very much, that's extremely important to us. Being informed that, that it's time to move on to the interactive aspect of the evening. Okay. So thank you. Ready or not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so we're going to make sure everyone has a chance to, to participate. And you don't have to participate publicly. You can. But we're going to ask everyone to find someone, either that they know or don't know, preferably that they don't know or don't know well, and just find that find somebody. So go sit next to somebody that you don't know very well. So we so we're gonna take we're gonna take a, we're gonna take one minute, one minute and do that. One minute. So so if you know someone really well. I'll join you guys. Uh, okay, okay, bef be before we really chat, and, 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 and raise your hand if you have, don't have someone. Idris, here, come down. This gentleman right here doesn't have something. Uh, 
Oh, okay. The, you could be three. The three of you. Yes. The three of you can work together. Okay. So everyone, can I have everyone's attention? Can I have everyone's attention? So you can be, if, if you, if you want to do groups of three, that's possible. But if you do groups of two, that's wonderful. So we're going to take, take one minute, and we're going to look in our phones and find an image that talks about family, how, however you define family, or however you don't define family. We're going to find that image. So we're going to take one minute and do that. Can I have a timekeeper? OK, so we have a timekeeper. So we're going to do that right now. Let us know when we have 30 seconds. Are you in the mic? Can you speak up? How, 30 seconds? How many? How 30 much? seconds. So we have 30 seconds. So let's finish up. When you're done, raise your hand. You found your image. Okay, so you only have about a, one fifth of us found our image. Let's, let's keep going. A little more, a little more. Almost a half. So we have, we have about 20 seconds. Who needs more time? Everyone raise your hand. Okay, a couple people need more time. We respect that. Let us know when it's one minute. We're one minute? Almost. One minute. Okay. So, so in groups of two, we're going to, or groups of three, we're going to have the one person, the person to the right, raise your hand. You are going to talk to the person on the left and share the image, the story of this image with them. The other person is going to listen to you and watch the image. So we, it's going to be a, 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 a two minutes to talk about this image or an associated image. OK. Yes, we'll, we'll tell you when two minutes is up. Alisa, you could join someone. Join this group. Oh, is it right here? Yes. Thanks. 
two minutes. Okay, so uh, we're going to go to the next person. The next person, we're going to wrap up with the first person. We're going to go to the second person. So the second person, bring up their image and share. Is my mic still on? Do you know? Can you hear me? Or am I, sh I feel like I'm shouting. You're able to hear. Thank you. Okay, for groups of three, we're going to go to the third and last person. Ready? You ready? Okay. Oh, Nick, we're going to go. Can we make it that? And Viv. So I'm going to have three three images for you. Time's okay. up. Okay, so we're actually going to come to the conclusion of this part. We're, I just need your attention. Huh? So now, before we move on to the next section, I'm going to ask everyone to just make sure that their phones, everyone who might be participating, make sure that their phones don't turn off after like four minutes, um, because we're going to invite people to come and share their photographs with us. 
um, in uh, the next level, next phase of this performance. And since our hosts are so gracious and they came up with the, this host, the host of this co-creation conference, I'm going to start with the three of you, <laughs> or at least two of our hosts. <laughs> so can you come, can, come on up? And uh, Sarah, Vivek, and you have a third person as well. Garfin is also talking tonight. I'm looking forward to your talk. Okay, so we're going to pass on the images to Sam, who's over here. And people are not going to be sitting. Yeah, so we're going to pass on the images to Sam, who's going to put them over here. And so we could just keep, if they could just keep up over here. And then I'm going to ask you guys to come and join me. So let's place them down here. And they should all be here. And if you could place all of yours down here. And the third one. So, could you just come on to the stage? So, this is this is a this is a mini a mini family album. So, I am going to ask each. I'm going to start. Vivek, could you uh, share um, something that you've learned about Sarah? Sarah, you share something you've learned about Bjarkin, and Bjarkin will come back to Vivek. So, um, we're going to have you stand over here. So you could see uh, over here, over here, over here. Come on to the front. So you could kind of, you could turn back around and look at that and look at your audience. Okay. So um, here's your here's your mic. Thank you. So um, the picture on the upper right is Sarah's picture of her parents, um, and as you can see, it's a picture of a, a Christmas tree. Um, and what's interesting about this this picture um, is that Sarah's parents were Jewish. Um, and, um, but we're living in a, a predominantly non-Jewish neighborhood in the, this must have been the 50s. Um, and, we need it, we need and so she was, yes. she was telling us about how um, their family always celebrated Christmas and even, even to this day. Um, and, but that, that wasn't, a, that, that at the same time her mother founded a synagogue in this area in Concord where there wasn't one. Um, so it was just, we were talking about just the, the multiplicity um, in that, that is sort of apparent in this picture and in their lives. Okay, great. So I learned tonight that Bjarke's grandfather, who is the second one in from the right, was a freedom fighter in World War II. And this is the day that uh, the Nazis left Denmark and they could come out of hiding and his grandfather was a baker. One of his jobs was to transport weapons to the freedom fighters in his bakery truck. Um, so pretty amazing. Thank you, Sarah Vivek. I'm actually going to need some help from you, Sarah, because when Vivek was showing his photo, I was getting briefed about my talk that I'm going to do <laughs> right after this. So I, I know that it's his parents, right? Okay. <laughs> um, the woman in the middle and the right are his parents, and the woman in the left is his wife's grandmother who raised her. This is the opening night of his first film to ever screen publicly at the Whitney Museum of Art, and they are meeting for the first time, or it's one of the only times they're meeting. He talked about it as a comparison to okay. a photo of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, and sort of the, <laughs> the, that they didn't meet that often, but when they did, it was a really grand event and it was really important these people were like 
the forces, his Martin Luther King and Malcolm X's in his life. Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm looking forward to your talk. So, um, so now we're going to go. Idris, do you want to come with your group? What's your name? My name yes. is Mamo. Mamo. Idris, Mamo, and Ray, why don't you guys come up? And if you could give Sam your, your photos or cameras slash photos slash phones. How are you? Good to see you. OK, why don't you join me as you over here. And tell us, tell us your name. Ray. And what are you doing here at this conference, Ray? Um, I have a thing tomorrow. What is it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fireflies, the Brown, a Brownsville story. Uh -huh. We um we like show it show it tomorrow. Okay, great. Um, I don't know where though. I guess the grown ups. Okay, <laughs> and you? Uh, so my name is Memo. I'm here to observe and listen and um, get inspired. Great. Yeah. Thank you, Memo. And Idris. Yeah, I'm just here to learn and intake as much information as possible. Really, I'm just really glad to be here. So tell us about these, these images. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to actually have you talk about an image that is not yours. And for Mamo or um, tell me your name again. Ray. OK. Um, well, this is it. Uh, I will talk about that one. Um, that is Mamo's image from with his family. Uh, was it in Turkey? It is, yeah. it, it, it is in Turkey. And um, yeah, this little family at lunch. And um, if what else would you, did you say about it? I'm sorry, I forgot. Well, it's, I, I'm not there. I, I'm here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Mamo? Uh, OK, so I'll um, talk about Ray's photo down in the bottom. Mm -hmm. Uh, so the little one is Ray, mm -hmm. and then the one to the left, camera left, is his older brother and his older sister, and he doesn't actually know who that woman is. Um, <laughs> and so apparently this is normal because it was kind of more communal upbringing, and if, if the mother was busy, then someone else would step in to take on those responsibilities. Uh, have I missed Maybe anything? Two more, please. You can ask my Oh, yeah. So this is also a turning point in Ray's life because he stopped being the little one and um, the most special one because his mom was actually pregnant at ah. the time. And, yeah. Uh-huh. So I actually changed my photo from when we did it because I actually found a better one. So I don't know. He wouldn't be able to explain that one. So if I can just, like... Do oh. the explanation. Now, why did you change your photo? Because I changed my photo because I didn't wasn't aware that this was the situation, but also that <laughs> <laughs> also that um, I didn't find the best photo in the time allotted. And then when I was going and sitting down, I actually found an actual photo that I feel like represents my family, and uh, it was a better representation than the sh photo I showed. Well, let's have Ray talk about the photograph that he saw. Okay. Then yeah, let me. Put Oh, no, it's fine. You keep that one. It's fine. Um, he had a photo up of him and his, his like, current partner. Oh, uh, yeah. And they were together for seven years, and they were, like, slightly in front of another pair of friends, 
And it was a turning point for him because they aren't as close in the picture. I feel like it was like foreshadowing because they were distant in the picture and now they're distant. So I, feel, I thought that was kind of cool. I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> and we were ATVing in Dominican Republic, so we were having, uh, <laughs> we're having fun. Okay. Okay, well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Wonderful. Great, Mamo. So, um, so should I call in groups? Uh, groups want to volunteer to come up? Okay, so we have, we have one group right here with the hand up first, and I saw a second group back there. So why don't the first group come up? And tell us your names as you're coming up. Yeah. A Detroit African born in Nairobi. Via Johannesburg. And your name? Atiena? Atiena Nakasigam. Okay, welcome. You need? Great. Welcome. I'm doing good. How are you? Hi. And your name is? I'm Anita. I'm up from Toronto. Oh. Originally via South Korea, via Buenos Aires. Wow. Many diasporas, many journeys here. Okay, so so I'm going to pass it to you first. And so I want you to tell the story of your, um, your album partner. Hello, everybody. Hi. So this is Anita. And that is her family, her nuclear family, her long-term partner, 25 years, husband from Colombia to her right. And behind him, their daughter, firstborn, but not her maternal daughter. And um, she doesn't, she hasn't lived with them continuously, but has lived with the family every summer since she was 10. And then next to her is their son, a maternal, her maternal son, who's 14. And, um, they're in Toronto, and they are a beautiful family. Mm. Thank you. Um, so that lovely uh, girl there who is five years old uh, is her daughter. Uh, they were out in Detroit, and that was a lovely shop that you went into, and she specifically chose that spot because of the color of that leather sofa she (laughs) thought would make a really lovely photo. And uh, uh, her dad, and uh, they have been together now for about seven years. And my friend here is originally from Kenya, Mm -hmm. who came to Detroit for school. Kind of. Kind of. Lansing. Mm. And and her father is from Detroit. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. And your phones. We have another group down there. And if there are other groups that want to join us, you could start lining up. So we could I think we only, we have time for two more groups. And tell us your, your names and where you're from. Welcome. Hi. Cindy. Oh, Cindy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Thomas. Casey. Casey, welcome. Hi. So, we're, we're, we're actually, 
Um, what is it? Separated at birth. <laughs> okay, Cindy, here you go. So tell us Casey's story. Okay, um, I love Casey's picture because it wasn't entirely clear of what I was looking at, but um, it's an over or double exposure. Not exactly, yeah, yeah. Like in, between so in between frames of a, uh, a really what's turned out to be a really close friend of his um, who by happenstance he met as a, a kind of a, a college and that this person has sort of caused him to veer off into a different uh, trajectory more along the lines of creativity and, and film. And he took this, uh, this film, uh, this picture with a, a tiny little camera, he collects cameras and uh, I, I guess you said you took it at your grandmom's house? No, no, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> the camera frame came from her house. This is on a, on a trip I took. Oh, okay, okay. The camera frame came from her house, yeah. So it just seems like it has, you know, we're talking about uh, nostalgia and, and the, 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 the beauty that you, that you feel with, um, with the people that are, are close to you, yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's very hard to see Cindy's photo, but um, her... Photo looks at family in a much less literal sense as sort of like a, fa a family in uh, ecological sense of the word, where these are family of plants on a wall that she photographs daily. Okay. So uh, maybe you could say that those plants are like her family since she's interacting with them every day and looking at them and they're in her environment and in her space and they're all interrelated and. Um, yeah, and she's documenting their growth, and mm. and their death, and whatever. Mm. <laughs> I actually, I actually do have a family. <laughs> and this is part of them, or do you have? Uh? <laughs> no, but but when you you know when you think about the transport the. The, the inter the network of, of family mm -hmm. and uh, the organism that is the the nuclear family but that that how we're all so diff connected in, in different and more um, separate ways that mm -hmm. we have the roots become further and further away but we are all in interconnected and I think that's a really beautiful um, lens to view um, all of our families mm. yeah. thank you thank you thanks oh, Casey. So we have this uh, lovely couple here. <laughs> How are you? I'm the one who loves you. I know, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and what's your name? Jay. Jay. Yes. Here you go, Jay. Thank you. And your name is? Jane. Jane. Good to meet you, Hi. Jane. Welcome. <laughs> okay. So I, I'll start with uh, Jane's photos. So Jane is from Toronto, like myself. Montreal. Montreal, right. God. But we're, we're, <laughs> we're from Canada. We're from Canada. Jane and Jay, we're both from Canada. And our phones are cute. OK, so. Oh. <laughs> so, OK. Yeah, we we could. So, um, <laughs> Jane is an urbanist, and the photo was of her two beautiful children. Um, one child is her biological child. Um, the photo with the little boy at the bottom. 
Um, he is her uh, biological child. And um, on the top, the photo of the little girl is her um, chosen child, her adopted yeah. child uh, from Haiti. And um, Jane uh, completed her master's um, in uh, urban planning in Haiti. So that's her connection uh, to the country. And the photo shows their personalities. So the her daughter on top with her tongue out, super feisty, that's her personality. And her son, a little bit more laid back on the bottom of the photo, that's, that's his personality. <laughs> Hi, and this is Jay. And Jay's photo is uh, it's a co-creation project uh, that's taking place in Lexington, Kentucky. And it's around a Confederate monument and, uh, and working with the community um, in designing a place, I believe, around that. So dealing with a lot of place-based trauma, uh, both of descendants of slaves as well as some descendants of slave owners and uh, trauma all around, including trauma that she's finding in herself that she uh, didn't necessarily uh, have awareness of. So this is bringing up uh, a lot. And the community is becoming like family. Mm. That's the family part. Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you. We have um, some more, more folks from Detroit, or at least no, Montreal. Montreal yeah. And then Detroit. <laughs> OK, Montreal's in the house. Yes. <laughs> And we have a paper image in the house, too. Yeah. I should have brought my white gloves. Uh, and tell us your names. Yeah, sorry. Um, hi, Bree from Detroit. Um, really appreciated Dorothy from Montreal's image. This is her partner, her daughter, and her mother. Um, her mother, who isn't uh, doing as well right now in and out of the hospital, and her partner doesn't have a very big family, um, where you know you like go over to Sunday dinners every week or whatever. And this was at a particular time when her mother had just gotten out of the hospital and was recovering. Um, but this was her partner's her partner's birthday, and so she came over and spent time with the family and really supported him and being a part of their family. And I really appreciated and related um, to Dorothy saying that now like we're at that stage where we have to be the ones hurting the family gatherings and taking on that responsibility for our people. Yeah. Mm. Thank you so much. And uh, this is a beautiful, beautiful picture. Uh, Bree said that it really touches her heart because um, on the left you see her father who was at, ten, at that time 10 years old, and then her grandmother, who was about 30 years old. And then she was saying how shocked, how beautiful her grandmother is dressed, how classy. And usually when you look at the narratives uh, during the 60s, you don't really see those type of women being dressed up like that. So she says, wow, my grandmother used to be fly, uh, even though she was like, <laughs> even though she used to be like an elderly, an elderly fly uh, woman, but she said that was one of the few pictures that she saw her as a young fly slaying woman. And uh, <laughs> that's it. And, and that's it. So basically it's about the narrative. And I was saying how uh, even she was saying that how today, like in 2018, you don't see women like us being dressed up like that. So I really love the picture. Beautiful, thank you. Thank you, Bree. 
So um, as one final grouping that I'm going to put on the spot immediately because they, I wouldn't be here without them. And that is these two women here, Jennifer and Wendy, you have to come up. And you know, you guys have been so pivotal uh, throughout the years. And so this is your opportunity to uh, pay back. <laughs> oh, you did? You made a vow? Jessica, sorry, Jessica. Okay. So uh, tell us who you are and why you're here. And yeah, oh my gosh, wow. And then tell us, and tell us about Jessica's image. Oh, okay, I'll tell you about it. So I'm Wendy Levy, and um, this is Jessica's image. It's interesting, we had a father theme and we didn't even know it. But um, this is Jessica's dad, John, who, um, who I thought was feeding turkeys, but that's actually a peacock. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and you can see she showed me a little bit more, but... Um, uh, but John was in the war, he was a, a he's a veteran, and they were very close, and Jessica, he called Jessica the boss, because Jessica kind of helped with his care at the end of his life. And there's just a, such a, I mean, I love this picture, and there's such a sweetness um, of John with the peacocks, and of course that never goes well with peacocks, so it, it devolves. And it was just <laughs> knowing Jessica a little bit and seeing her dad and seeing her face and her dad's face was just really, really powerful for me. Hi, I'm Jessica. I edited Immerse, which you'll see logos of. You should check it out. <laughs> uh, this is Wendy's parents. Um, fresh, freshly minted. <laughs> they both came from rough homes. They're really happy to be out of those homes in this picture, and she sees it as a, a moment of potential, a moment when you know they had all this hope and beauty uh, in front of them. Well, yeah, <laughs> like the peacock. <laughs> Thank you, and for being put on the spot, Jessica. Thank you, Andy. So I guess we are going to be closing up now. But I, is there, is there, can we do a, like a kind of a group photo together with our photos on, on the stage? Like everyone, is that possible? Yes, totally. Yeah. Okay. So I just want to thank everyone for um, for participating and um, yeah, and you know, it's uh, please take these strategies home and use them and uh, to connect. Thank you so much. introduce his new app. Um, it's a collaborative storytelling app, and I'll let him take it from here. All right, thanks. Um, I think I'm on, right? Is it working? No. Oh, hello, hello? Yeah, now it is. Okay. Um,
Well, thanks to Sarah and the rest of the crew, Kat and all these, for um, letting me have my um, six minutes here. Um, and also thanks for, to Thomas for a super inspiring um, first part of this. Um, so, um, we're in a park and I'm in a tree and I'm about eight years old. Um, I live right next to this big public park and I go there quite a lot and climb trees and I sit in the trees and I watch the sky and um, I think about stuff. That much I can remember when I, when I think back, but I can remember one of the things very distinctly and it was when it occurred to me that I was thinking like consciously, like I started thinking, right now I'm thinking, which means I'm thinking about that I'm thinking, which means I'm thinking, and I went into this loop. Um, and I think it was about that time that I started to really realize, okay, I'm, I'm this really strange creature. Um, I contain multitudes, which would probably be how, how Walt Whitman would say it. Um, and, um, and, I, and, I, and I started becoming super curious about the human being. Then I sort of forgot that again for many years. Um, other things got on my mind. I became a teenager and all this stuff. Um, and then quite recently, I started, I reached a point in, in my work and my career where I started really thinking, why am I doing all this and all that? And, and suddenly this, this moment came back to me. Uh, and I was like, okay, actually, I'm doing this because I'm just trying to understand who I am. Um, and then the lucky thing was for me that, you know, to really do that, you actually have to, um, to start to understand everybody else around you, which I think Thomas, um, the talk he just did was a super good example of that we have to connect with other human beings and we have to connect to the world around us um, to really understand who we are. Um, and by going through the process of self-discovery, we also enable others to discover themselves. Um, and this is co-creation to me to some extent. Um, and of course, there's many ways of doing this, but I think storytelling is a really amazing way to do it. Um, so I guess that's why I've spent so, so much time being involved in documentary storytelling. Now, the problem is, we, um, we have this medium now that's called social media, or social medium, but it's not really social at all. Um, so for all of us that's trying to, um, to discover ourselves and think that technology is a pretty good way and the internet is a pretty good way, and, and to all of us who are really hopeful about that, it's, um, it's a bit of a letdown right now. Um, but I still think we have a huge opportunity because um, Social media was just built by someone, um, especially like a, a young kid, like a little further up the road here. Um, so of course we can just rebuild it or build something much better. Um, and I'm actually quite hopeful for that, for that. And this was just a synthesis of a pretty long process for me, which turned out to this project that I call Duckling. Um, and it's an app that's trying to introduce a new category of media that I call inside media. Um, and it's about connecting as humans by sharing insights, by sharing ideas, by sharing inspiration, and not just sharing a selfie or the latest uh, food dish we had or something like that. 
It's not necessarily because there's something wrong with that. It's just a super limited version of life, and it does do justice to the multitudes that we really are. Um, Duckling is a little bit of a reference. I'm from Denmark, and it's uh, the birthplace of Hans Christian Andersen. We were actually born in the same little town. Um, and the fairy tale Ugly Duckling is about a lot of different things. But one of the things is to discover that you're really a beautiful swan and not an ugly duckling. Um, so um, let me show you just my Instagram uh, profile. So um, I've been using Instagram, I don't know, for like five, ten years. And you know, it looks kind of like this. So there's a lot of nice family photos and all this stuff. Um, um, and it shows one version of me. Um, and it's um, not very broad, and it's not really who I am. I mean, it is who I am, but it's a stereotypical view, and it's probably more glamorous than my life really is. I notice in the periods where I'm not really doing anything very interesting, I'm not using Instagram, so I only use it when I have something flashy <laughs> to show. Um, so, um, so, so, so it's, I mean, it's stereotypical, and the problem with stereotypes is that they're true, but they're only a very thin slice of truth. Um, so they're not really, you know, us. They're not the multitude. So while we were developing Duckling, um, I was of course testing the, it and using it, and um, and this is how my Duckling um, um, show, showroom, as we call it, look. So you can already see it's it's completely different from Instagram. Um, so the way we've sort of started it out is by talking about a lot, or at least the way I started using it was talking about how, what I do for work, what my interests are, and so on. Um, so this is why it becomes very different. You have all these things, these tags tied to me, interests, sustainability. Uh, you know, I'm a little bit of a geek, as you can see. But you get a, I think, at least, and this is just an early outline, but I think you get a, a much broader view of who I, who I really am. Um, and of course, you know, it could still be expanded much more, but um, the point is to just set a direction. Um, and of course, if it was somebody else, it would look quite different. So let me try to just demo Duckling really fast. Um, so we just put it in the App Store. Um, it's way, way faster to develop a um, iOS app than an Android app, but it's coming for, for Android pretty soon. So I apologize to the ones of you who don't want to be in the claws of Apple, but um, we started out there. Um, so let's see. So here it is. Um, so once you signed up, you get, um, you get some stories, latest stories, features, stories. And right now, so I have, I'm a fellow at the Open Doc Lab here. So we're starting out in, in the sort of tech geek realm with the AI and blockchain and those kinds of uh, topics. But it could fundamentally be any kind of top topic. Um, so if we tap on the latest stories here, um, we'll see actually a, a story that I just really quickly put together, sharing family photos to connect as humans. Um, so here's a little photo, and I can move to the next one. And I just put a little th thought I had about, or an insight, you could say, about uh, Thomas. And so watching his talk about his film and art um, about collecting family photos confirms once again how much work we have to do to make the internet truly social. I think to me, you know, when I look at an event like that where we're sharing stuff together, it, it's just apparent how bleak of an outline 
social medias of what the true human relation can be. And of course, we can never really emulate, you know, being in a room together, but I think we could get much closer than we already are. Um, so then I, if I want to dig deeper, I have this little drawer in the, in the corner and I can open, um, in this case, I put a, a link in to um, Thomas' um, site about family um, pictures. And then I can move here and I just took a little uh, movie from YouTube. I'm filmmaker and transmedia artist Thomas Allen Harris, and you're watching. We already know him, right? <laughs> um, and uh, so I did this little story in two minutes while I was um, sitting here. And um, part of our mission has been to make it as easy to do a little story as um, it would be on uh, Snapchat or Instagram, and also make it super easy to navigate while you're on the go. Because we want to, we, I mean, I fundamentally believe we're not gonna like reverse people and go back to you know reading books all the time I enjoy very much reading books but I think it's also becoming a niche so to move forward we need to sort of like Elon Musk did with the Tesla like you know to make people drive an electric vehicle you have to create a super cool vehicle um, and I think to make people use the internet and uh, in a different way for storytelling, you have to, to do something that's as cool and easy and intuitive as Snapchat, but with something that's more purposeful or at least have another purpose. So that's what we've been trying to do. I think I'm already way over time. So let me just really quickly show you um, how you actually create a story. So you press the little plus and then I can choose an image. So here's uh, my son just today playing an astronaut at the Science Museum. So I put in his photo here and I can add a little text. Draw astronauts and I can give it some different styling. And um, I could also just link to something. So I'm gonna link to family pictures cause this is a family picture. And then I can publish it and I can give it some kind of, of um, interest. So I'm actually not gonna publish this one. I'll just exit. Um, but then if you're following, if you happen to be following family, for instance, as an interest, um, you'll see my, my thing pop up. So here's actually like a bunch of family stuff. Um, and um, you have your showroom and you have your inbox with where you can communicate with other people. And um, you can actually also share all of this to Facebook and Twitter and all that. So we're not leaving out stuff. And what you can do on our platform or on Duckling that you can't do on the other ones is actually take stuff from the other platforms. So you saw that I embedded a YouTube video. I can embed tweets and all this. So, so our, our idea is also that we enable you to weave all the stuff that's already been done together. So this is um, the simple start. But our hope is that, you know, in a short time span, we'll get to a place where we can actually start to map out conversations and people and um, and make people realize that maybe we have points that where we touch each other even though we we're not sharing all the same worldviews and things like that so um that was the lightning talk thanks thank you PRK. i love PRK's vision of what social media could be based on interests rather than just friendships. Um, so thank you again, Thomas Allen Harris. That was incredible. And thank you for letting us be part of your 
Family Photo USA project. Um, just a one announcement, there's a special film screening up on the sixth floor of the building next to here. We'll, ha we'll have a guide, I guess, who can take people up there at 8.30. There's still a few seats left. We can't tell you what film it is, but it's a good one, and you'd want to be there. So even if you haven't registered, um, you can meet us here, and we'll take you up at about 8.25. Thank you.